Are you an HR department of one trying to figure out how to balance task and strategy while keeping up with changes in regulatory compliance? Do you need a fresh outlook on old topics? Then stop what you're doing, grab your coffee, and get ready to recharge. If you have people, you have problems to solve and things to do. Your host is Brenda Neckvottle, a 20-year human resource professional, ready to explore the HR industry with veterans of business and life, with fresh eyes and new ideas. Learn about the rapidly evolving changes in employment law around the country, as well as new tactics to deploy and build engagement in your workforce. If you're looking to implement new practices to make your job easier in HR, then this podcast is for you. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Best Practices in Human Resources podcast. My name is Brenda, and I am here to help you figure out the what and how in human resources. And before I get further into this, I really want to take a moment to say thank you. If you are joining us for the first time, you guys are going to be in for yet another heck of a show. Um, so this podcast is a lot of fun. We keep it very real. And for those of you who are continuing to join me week after week, I really can't begin to tell you how much I really appreciate you guys doing that. Um, you are the ones that I make this for, and I'm just very, very grateful that you continue to tune in week after week. So I'm in the human business, and that means that there's a greater number of dynamics in the workplace to balance and manage. And that's a lot about what we're going to talk about today. But every time we do an episode, that's what we key in and we focus in on. But today, we're going to be talking about, um, we've got some employment law changes across the nation. And I'm going to share with you later in the show where you can get access to these. Um, our main topic is sacking the, CA, the CEO. <laughs> It sound a little European, as a little, a little British, uh, but that's okay. Sacking the CEO, that's what we're going to talk about today. We've got an HR question of the day. Um, I'm going to give you some upcoming events that are taking place, and then at the end of the show, I'm going to teach you how you can get best practices delivered right to your inbox. Now, before I begin, folks, the information that is available in this podcast is, in fact, for informational purposes only, and not for the purpose of providing any form of legal advice. You should contact your attorney to obtain legal advice with respect to any particular issue. If you do not have an employment attorney, go ahead and reach out to me and I may be able to refer one to you through our affiliates program and get you connected with our friends over in Jackson Lewis. Okay, so today we've got some changes that are going across the nation. So uh, as it sits right now, the EEOC has closed the EEO1 component to data collection function <laughs> and we have not yet heard when the next filing requirement is for the upcoming year so stay tuned for that over in California the California Supreme Court is set to review the meal and rest period premium calculation case and uh, that's kind of been hanging out there for a little while also in California, the U.S. Supreme Court has been asked to review California's perceived hostility to their arbitration agreements. So not surprised that that is actually going up to the Supreme Court. Over in Colorado, uh, Colorado is now paying attention to significant wage and hour rule changes that are coming down the pike. So be on the lookout for that. Over in Illinois, 
the title of this particular article was called Not So Sweet Deal for Employers Seeking to Protect Trade Secrets Under the Inevitable Disclosure Doctrine. So, got some little few challenges going on over there. Um, I know we mentioned this in the last podcast, but Ban the Box is now in Maryland as well. And over in Missouri, the city of St. Louis uh, has now passed a new Ban the Box ordinance. That's only in the city of St. Louis as it sits right now. And New York City, boy, they like to keep things interesting. So New York City has issued some guidance clarifying the new independent contractor protections under their human rights law. Gig economy is on it's on target I mean, there it's a it's definitely a target up there and so new york has actually proposed a process for sweeping changes to potential worker classification which is going to be interesting because fair labor standards act is very clearly defined so it'll be be i'm not really quite sure how anybody would be able to challenge that but we'll have to just keep our eyes open for that and then also over in new york New York State is actually suing the Department of Homeland Security over prohibition on the New Yorkers Inclusion and Trusted Travelers Program. Over in Pennsylvania, the Third Circuit Court has lifted the preliminary injunction and has greenlighted Philadelphia's salary history ordinance that is in place. And lastly, the city of Columbia, South Carolina, which we don't hear very much from, has provided some clarification coverage of criminal records and salary history ordinance that is out. So that is what we've got going on across the nation. There is just something super juicy about firing a CEO that the media loves to print and people just love to read. Now over in 2019 actually marks a record-breaking year for the number of CEOs who stepped down and in fact within the first nine months of 2019 it exceeded the number of CEO departures than in 2008's first three quarters which is the same time span and as you recall is also the start of the Great Recession. Now not every CEO is terminated. There's a wide variety of reasons why CEOs are no longer with the company. So here's a couple of notable call-outs from last year. The company Away, which is a luggage manufacturer and startup, their CEO, Steph Corey, left after an investigation revealed that she influenced a very cutthroat culture of burnout and bullying. Probably one of the most notable terminations that took place at the end of the year was with McDonald's and Steve Easterbrook, who was fired after having a consensual relationship with another employee and, like I said, probably was one of the most notable terminations of 2019. Over in Boeing, they fired Dennis Mullenberg for failing to recognize the safety risks and permitting the company to cut corners in the manufacturing of the 737 MAX. Expedia's Mark Okerstrom is resigning with the company's CFO as a result of a disagreement with the board in company strategy and how that should be managed. Lastly, and this is an interesting one, Overstock, Patrick Byrne left the company due to being too controversial to lead the company and due to unexpected and strange statements that Byrne made about being involved with assisting an FBI investigation that was part of the 2016 presidential election, he also later made claims that he was ordered by the FBI to maintain his romantic relationship with a Russian spy. So I'm just going to leave that one right there. 
So some CEOs step out of line, others step down and pursue new opportunities. But we just seem to love stories about CEOs leaving the company. We love hearing about quote unquote bad management and getting its comeuppance and how these leaders are embroiled in scandal. We also love to hear about what a fresh start does to a company and how it actually invigorates change and ingenuity. Now with this show being all about the what and the how of human resource practices, today we're going to actually talk about what goes into terminating a CEO and how it actually happens. Now first off, terminating a CEO when there is no cause is going to be one of the most well thought out decisions any board of directors should have to make. When the board does make a decision to dismiss the CEO, there are generally two major reasons. The first one is that there's a sudden crisis involving the CEO, such as a breach of the law or the organization's code of conduct, or actions that are so damaging to the organization and its reputation that the CEO must be removed. Hence, we saw a couple of those earlier, McDonald's and Boeing, for instance. And then the next would be an ongoing pattern of performance, failure to live up to the agreed upon standards of performance, inability to fit the culture of the organization or lead effectively, or even implement an agreed strategy or adapt to a changing environment, which actually can also exist over, not in the profit sector, but the nonprofit sector as well. And that's what we saw over at Expedia when we mentioned that, that just a few minutes ago. Now the board ultimately is responsible for providing the CEO with assessment feedback and ensuring that there's a process to bring any issue with the CEO's performance to them so that they can go ahead and address it. All right. So if the CEO is stepping out of the line, the board hopefully has something in place to where members of the staff and the workforce or employees or even outside sources that may have to call out uh, inappropriate and bad behavior that that, that that outlet is there. Now, should the board not be satisfied with the CEO's action on particular matters, it's going to need to investigate the problems further to find any particular cause. If the investigation reveals that the CEO is not handling the job well, the board may need to go ahead and take a more active role in the strategic and functional operation of the organization. The CEO should have received a very clear set of objectives and have consequences of their actions clearly outlined. Now usually at this point if there's any type of concern around a CEO the board has not yet for the most part involved human resources. The board may involve the top leading HR person but the board will have a lot of these conversations and a lot of these discussions internally before they start pulling in HR as a result. Now at this stage, it's not uncommon for the CEO to realize that the problem is escalating out of, out of control and that the board may go ahead and offer the CEO the ability to resign. Alternatively, the board will need to actually act decisively to limit any kind of damage that they need in order to remove a CEO. And one of the things that they can actually take into consideration is do we even allow the CEO's service uh, agreement, terms of agreement or terms of employment once those expire, do we actually keep those and renew them? So when a board is actually considering releasing a CEO, they will collectively ask several things. First off, they'll take a look and, see, and, and actually determine what needs to be considered before making any determination on grounds for, uh, for separation. And the board should understand that the organization's legal obligations as the CEO's employer and contract terms, they need to take a look at the, at the employment agreement. 
Okay, they need to make a determination as to who will provide the CEO with any type of notice of termination. In some cases, the chair and another director may meet with the CEO in order to give them a letter of termination, explain the reasons the termination has existed, and provide them with the opportunity to ask any type of question. Another thing that they'll take into consideration is who's actually going to lead the company when the CEO is dismissed. The board will need to appoint some form of interim CEO for the, during the period of transition and until they effectively bring in a replacement. Another detail that the board will have to identify is actually who's going to be responsible in human resources with moving the termination process forward and ensuring all arrangements, policies, procedures, and any type of legal requirements are actually followed. Are there other considerations that may include any type of ad hoc board committee that should be assigned or established? or? they have to make the determination whether a chair or a subgroup of directors will actually begin to oversee the process. They'll also have to take a look at what other type of external reporting requirements are out there. So if the board is on, if the CEO is on a board of a nonprofit organization or a publicly traded one, then who has to be notified? The board will also need to consider what type of impact this will have on key stakeholders to the company. And finally, a communication plan should be put in place to address any and all concerns from employees, shareholders, and stakeholders. So it's going to get very, very busy real quick. Finally, the board is also going to have to really take a look at its own skin in the game and how it was responsible and what its part was in the CEO's failure. They should be looking and asking questions like, did the board communicate its expectations well to the CEO? Did it hire the right CEO given the organization's strategy and culture? That's a big one. Did the board regularly review the CEO's performance through a formal assessment process? Did they actually give that feedback? And we've talked a lot about that in, you know, just the day-to-day -day operations of business, that feedback is important. Well, is the board actually providing the CEO appropriate feedback? Did the uh, uh, board provide uh, appropriate support? as well. And does the board have the expertise needed to make effective decisions? If they don't, then the board really has to get reorganized. Now one of the most delicate stages of the process is to determine whether the company is required to pay severance. Now this is the part where it sometimes gets really juicy. So we've got a lot of people that don't seem to understand how severances come into play. And you know what? Most employees aren't entitled to, but when the media gets their hands on a very juicy story, it's not uncommon that they will blast out what kind of severance package has been offered. Well, I'm going to explain to you how this works. For those of you who have never dealt with something like this, this is how it works. From the executive's viewpoint, Severance provisions provide important protection and actually become a key element of the employment negotiating process. Therefore, they often seek to define a very narrow definition or narrow circumstances under which a board may go ahead and dismiss them for cause, which means that they actually, as part of their bargaining process, when they are presented an opportunity and offer for an executive, these are, these are individuals who have a much wider gap between positions and a much narrower opportunity to actually find a position that will compensate them 
for their skills, their talents, their vision, and their leadership. So therefore, they tend to build up their severance. In other words, so that way it can continue to support them. So this is all done in the very beginning. So when we hear that such and such was, you know, terminated from this airline uh, due to whatever reasons and they got a $60 million payout for severance, that was pre-negotiated all the way in the very first few days before the person even signed on the dotted line and became a, a part of the company. So this is just a little side note. This is precisely why employment contracts or agreements are discouraged from at-will positions that are non-executive in nature. Okay, This is the reason why people in HR are against putting in employment contracts that are not for individuals at an executive letter, level. They limit the company's ability to separate from an employee for performance. When you talk about narrowing the circumstances, that is exactly what happens. And you take away the ability to have an at-will relationship. Now, every state in the Union in the United States is an at-will state. There are a handful of states that actually have some exceptions to that that each state would have to adhere to. So having an employment agreement takes that away and it prohibits people from actually executing uh, separation in favor of the employer or with what that means is with the most flexibility. Now from a company's viewpoint, a cause definition that is too narrow means significant risk. This is kind of what we're talking about, but this is at the CEO level. If the board determines that we'll need to remove the CEO in the best interest of the organization, it will likely be required to make a substantial severance payment. Again, that's what we had negotiated. We talked about it was in the beginning of the negotiation process. However, if a board tries to stretch an ambiguous cause definition to serve as its rationale for terminating the executive, then it's very likely that they're going to challenge the board's interpretation and the organization is going to find itself really stuck in an expensive breach of contract lawsuit. And I've seen this happen too. So faced with these options, some boards may decide to go ahead and retain an executive, like I said earlier, until the end of their contract term, even if it means harm that comes to the company, because the organization can't really afford to pay both the severance and a successor salary. So money does come into play here. The other option is to negotiate some compromise severance amount to avert any type of litigation or public dispute. So when the apex leader of a company is terminated or forced out or leaves voluntarily, the result tends to leave employees feeling demoralized. They can worry about the future of the company and their own careers. Sometimes they may feel a little directionless and they actually have concerns about the interim leader. Now HR and other senior leaders need to be seen available and vocal in this time period. They really should be encouraging managers to conduct team meetings as soon as possible after the announcement to find out how people are doing. When employers are able to acknowledge the, ambi the ambiguity of the future with confidence that the company is going to be moving forward, they're going to be prosperous, provide those words of appreciation and encouragement during a difficult time, and then redirect that workflow as necessary are really the only talking points that should be occurring during this transition period. Senior leaders really should be telling employees that the CEO is leaving, but make sure that they refrain from providing all the details about the departure. Now the board will likely have crafted some form of communication statement 
They've probably done it with the guidance and advice of legal counsel, which is typically written with privacy and liability in mind. And that's the reason why they tend to use more of that um, boilerplate type statement. And if they go beyond that approach, then the company actually may be treading in some pretty dangerous waters. There's all different types of lawsuits that would could also include defamation and slander that a company couldn't be liable for. As the HR champion in the company, you may be faced with having to work with the board to separate with the CEO, and it's just a little bit more complex process than terminating most employees, obviously, as we've been talking about. The biggest key takeaways, like any huge shakeup, is to manage the environment. Otherwise, the environment will wind up managing you. Know that you're going to have some really tough days. You're going to have some really long days and you're going to really be relying upon your team. And if you're not an HR department of one, you're going to have support. If you're an HR department of one, you're going to have some really tough days. Make sure that you utilize their strength and support them, but also make sure that you support yourself as well. And that's very critical. Make no doubt about this. It's going to be stressful and you are likely going to be the point of contact for the exiting CEO as it pertains to benefits, pay, etc. And if not, you're actually going to be working with an assigned board member who is. And this person is really going to be requiring your help in a great capacity. Today I'd like to give a shout out to John over in LinkedIn. Thank you so much for the support. This show is currently nominated, and this is very exciting, for the Stevie's American Business Award and the Stevie's International Business Award. So we're anxiously awaiting over the next couple of months to find out how we did. So thank you so much. Also, Re over in Norway, she writes in and says, Hi Brenda, I came across your podcast and search and loved episode 19 on how to prepare for a possible recession downloaded several other episodes too and really like the way you set up your podcast it would be great to connect here on linkedin and follow you onwards greetings from norway thank you so very much this is awesome so yes we are actually in 10 different countries um which is pretty fantastic the number one believe it or not the number one country that follows us is actually out of canada so we do get a, a very large canadian audience so guys thank you so much this is just this is just fantastic so thank you thank you all right, so I've got some free webinars coming up in the Facebook group. Um, some dates for you to note. So Friday, February 21st, we've got how to make the most out of your SHRM conference. So if you are considering going to the SHRM conference, the national conference for the first time, um, or you've been there before and haven't yet really maxed it out, well, we're going to have a free one-hour seminar on how you can go ahead and do that. And that's going to be over in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group website. Also, um, Wednesday, March 4th, um, we're going to do a free webinar on the common expensive I-9 mistakes that people make. That also is going to be in the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group. Wednesday, March 18th, we got another live workshop in Virginia Beach. This is a paid, uh, a paid seminar uh, titled The Heartbreak of Office Romance. And those tickets are now on sale. 
To get your tickets, go to the bestpractices.org website, click on events, and you'll be able to find the link over there and you can purchase those tickets online. Also on Monday, March 23rd is when we have in the Facebook group, we have an open Q&A and then anybody who's got an HR question, go ahead and bring that forward and we can get some group dialogue going. And then also, if you're not able to make the live workshop in Virginia Beach on the heartbreak of office romance, then we do have a webinar that you can go ahead and take as well. Again, you go to the same place, to the bestpractices.org website, click on events, and you'll be able to go ahead and link over and purchase your tickets online now. Now, I would love for you guys to email me your HR questions, and you can submit your question on the bestpractices.org website by clicking on the podcast link from the menu, and down towards the bottom of the podcast page is a submission form for you to go ahead and post your question, which I actually may read and answer on an upcoming episode. So today's question came from inside one of our community, the community from one of our members, and I really liked it. So I'm going to share it with you, and later I'm going to tell you how you can become part of this community. Now the question was sent to me as a comment from an article that I posted on LinkedIn, and I'm going to go ahead and include that link in today's show notes as well. Now the article that I posted about is New Jersey's newly enacted law requiring employers to guarantee severance for employees who are affected by a mass layoff. It's the first law of its kind in the nation, so it's very unique. And the question reads, what are your thoughts on this, Brenda? I'm always in favor of employee protections, but I also think that this law, in conjunction with the WARN, uh, referring to WARN Act, can make it harder for businesses to act strategically. What does a company need to do when it cannot afford a layoff staff? These are just some thoughts that I have. So thank you so much, Adam, for this. This is great. Now, my response was, being that it's a law, companies really are going to have to manage money and decision and make these decisions well. Uh, they're going to have to spend extra time and extra care to evaluate their workforce and staffing needs against the changes in business. And this is going to be a real challenge over there. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody actually found a way to lay off people and not pay employees because that's just what happens. But instead use the payment of the penalties as an option because it could be less expensive. I don't know, right? But without really knowing all the details to the new legislation, I, I wonder if somebody would figure out that it could be some form of viable strategy. It wouldn't surprise me at all. We came up with something like that with the Affordable Care Act where employers, as a viable legal strategy, opted not to provide employees with health care options and allowed them to go and actually purchase health care through uh, through the you know the portals of the Affordable Care Act. So kind of interesting. So we'll see where this takes us. What I really love about this question is that it actually came from our own community that I've been working to build. Over the past several weeks, you've heard me talk about the Next Gen Women in HR membership site and Facebook group. That is our community. And I teach men and women who are performing the HR function the practical action steps for building a highly compliant HR infrastructure, how to create unique learning opportunities for community members, and using critical thinking strategies to solve people problems. Now, my mission is to connect with 20,000 women in HR to positively impact the lives of 1 million employees in the workplace. And this community is open to, to those who are established in HR champions or, or those who are aspiring to become one. 
And I was inspired to contribute to women in HR because on a regular basis, I had business owners and office admins coming up to me saying, I don't know anything about HR. I don't know where to look for information. And I'm afraid I'm going to actually be making a mistake. And I remember what it felt like to be that HR army of one. I remember what it felt like when I didn't think that I had the necessary support or the knowledge that I had to really dig deep and go with my gut. I remember what it felt like not feeling confident or wondering if I was right and if I had everything that I needed but not really knowing if that was the case. I remember what it was like when I didn't feel support and I remembered what it was like those days where I felt really truly alone and it was awful. Now the Next Gen Women in HR member site is the place for women to come and learn to connect, share resources, and go deep to understand how to apply new knowledge and perform the HR function with tools and current resources. Most importantly, this is a place to get support. And in this decade, this industry in our changing world is going to continually present new challenges, exactly like the ones that I talk about on the show. And there's two places to start. Begin with the Next Gen Women in HR member site and invest in yourself. Go deeper. Ask for help. Find a mentor. Participate in networking events. And make that one-on-one connection with other HR champions that are in the group. You will find tools and guidance from the most simplest of tasks, such as that quirky I-9, to way more complex projects like a reduction of force. Join the Next Gen Women in HR site at bestpractices.org. And in this industry, you should be known for your talent, you should be paid for your skills, and really wanted for your abilities. Now, next join the Next Gen Women in HR Facebook group, which is another great place to connect and interact. Here's where I share information on how to network how to brand yourself as an HR professional. I share case studies on HR scenarios. I provide free how-to webinars. We've got special guests and we share best practices on how to disconnect and to recharge. It's also the place where we celebrate everybody in the group, their successes when we post them. So if you didn't catch where to go, if you're really not in a position to rewind the last 30 seconds, don't worry about it. Go ahead and shoot me a message on any one of my social sites and I'll be happy to direct you. Or you can go ahead and click the connect link at the top of the bestpractices.org website and I will get you the information that you need. The industry, the HR industry, is a feminine-driven industry. And yes, we do like our HR guys too. So come on in and we actually have men that are currently in the group, which is great. And we have several new webinars scheduled that I mentioned earlier. And this community is where it's at. It's all about moving forward and what you can do to keep up that momentum. And I honestly cannot wait till I connect with all of you guys. So take your experience deeper by joining the Next Women in HR member site at bestpractices.org. This is where you get to invest and learn in the what and the how of HR by going deeper into the experience with that dedicated community. The links to these articles that I talked to you about earlier in the show, you can also find those over in the Next Gen Women in HR membership site on the bestpractices.org website as well. This is where I take all of this information that I either go and look for or it comes to me, one of the two, and combine it into one spot. And you get that monthly access for the site for less than three cups of coffee a week. All this information is updated weekly, new stuff is going out regularly, and this is what helps me stay current in my profession as an HR pro, and it will absolutely do the same for you. So I look forward to connecting with you guys, cannot wait to have you part of this tribe. So in the meantime, before you get there, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Best Practices in HR. You can also find me on Instagram at Brenda the HR Lady. 
And over on YouTube and LinkedIn, you can find me at Brenda Neckvottle, and my last name is spelled N-E-C-K, like the thing you want to choke, V as in Victor, A-T-A-L. And lastly, once again, you can find me over at bestpractices.work. Go ahead and click connect at the top of the page and get my best practices delivered directly to your inbox. Guys, thank you again for yet another really great episode. I am looking forward. This was episode 48. We are climbing our way to our 50th episode, which is just exciting. So we got a couple of really awesome guests coming up. We've got more on the other side of 50 and cannot wait to, can't wait to talk to you over there then. You guys have a great day. Talk to you soon.